When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by Book Riot Newsletters. Did you know that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every day. And don't miss our newest newsletter, Our Queerest Shelves, which will deliver LGBTQ plus news and recommendations straight to your inbox starting this June. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, mystery thriller aficionados, sci-fi fantasy lovers, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 99, and we are recording on March 5th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're going to talk about novelettes, thanks to uh, our intrigue over them in our recent episode. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about novelettes. I think we're going to talk a little bit about what they actually are because <laughs> yes. I did not know really. Yeah, we. <laughs> I feel like I learn this once a year and then forget and have to relearn it. Like every time yeah. a list, an awards list like this comes out where I'm like, what are all of these categories? Uh, and then I immediately forget as soon as I'm done thinking about it. So I did, I did go spelunking for definitions. I just, can we just take a moment because I can't believe we're almost at episode 100. Like we're one episode away. I know 99 we're recording 99 today and it I I don't even know what to say like 100 sounds like so many and it yeah. feels like we have been doing this forever but in a good way and, right. Yeah. I, I'm not tired of it yet, personally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so nice to have a chat with you every other week. Yes, it is. It is. I really love uh, getting to dive into these super geeky things. And uh, we so appreciate all of you who are listening, however long you've been here for. It's, it's, we hope that you enjoy it as much as we enjoy making it. Yes, I hope so. So yeah, so we're still collecting ideas for episode 100, although we are narrowing down. So if you're listening to this and you have a brilliant idea, feel free to still send it in. It's SFF, yeah, at bookriot.com. Even if we don't use it for episode 100, we might use it for another episode. So there's always that. Mm-hmm. Well, before we start talking about news, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is Saga Press, publisher of S.B. Divya's Machine Hood. So author S.B. Divya was an AI and data science engineer for over two decades, which is fascinating, fascinating industry. And her early cutting-edge research on algorithms and also being a woman in STEM in the early 90s, cannot imagine, has heavily informed her debut novel, Machine Hood. 
And this techno thriller is described as being as prescient as Neuromancer and as current as Bad Blood, sharply critiquing capitalism, big pharma, and human exceptionalism. Very timely topics. And it tells the story of a terror group that gains power amid a turbulent conflict between human and AI workers. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, Kurzweil called the book ingenious, thought-provoking, and hopeful. And a starred PW Review says simply, readers will be blown away. So this book draws on many, many things and is shaped and inspired by things like the evolution of our current labor market and Divya's 20 plus years working with AI and also being a woman in STEM and also the failure of capitalism. So I uh, am personally slightly terrified by the future of AI and (laughs) am also fascinated uh, with any future predictions about it. So if you are intrigued as well, you should check out Machinehood. Again, that's by S.B. Divya from Saga Press. Thanks for sponsoring today's episode. Yeah, that sounds relevant to my interests. For sure. It I actually saw the cover of this when we were looking into our uh, most anticipated, and it looks real cool. Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess I'm going to kick us off with some news. And I finally watched the Shadow and Bone teaser trailer. And I've had, I think I put like news about Shadow and Bone and all the updates about casting and like Mm -hmm. the film stills. And I never really got around to talking about it. So this is kind of the first time I've really taken a look at the Shadow and Bone adaptation, which is again... Um, this is an adaptation that's appearing on Netflix and it's, I think season one is eight one hour long episodes. And in case you did not know about Shadow and Bone, this is uh, a series from the Grisha verse created by Leigh Bardugo, very buzzy name. And these are best-selling books. So I really wasn't surprised when it got picked up for adaptation And I didn't really know how it was all going to look. And honestly, I was a little bit uh, concerned. Concern is probably more serious a word than (laughs) than I actually You've read the books, right? Yeah, yeah. And I loved them. This was, I read Shadow and Bow when I was just starting to write for Book Riot. So it was a while back. And I was just Mm. getting back into YA fantasy. Um, around that time. So it was kind of, it shaped a lot of what I looked for in those early days of me getting back into that category and genre. And so I, I don't know, I have very fond memories of reading this series and they are so descriptive and beautifully written. And, you know, if you know Leigh Bardugo's books, she's really great at world building and coming up with really compelling characters. So I had a lot. I was banking on this being good. Um, And the trailer, which is, it's not that teaser trailer that came out earlier that was like, I don't know, 10 seconds long or something. And I was like, (laughs) what's this? It's like, (laughs) this one's like two some odd minutes and it gives you a lot to look at and it looks really, really good. I was really happy 
um, with just the, I guess, the aesthetic of it. Uh, so I'm much more excited about it than I was maybe before. Less trepidatious, I guess you could say. And yeah, so some of the cast members are Jesse May Lee as Alina Starkov, our main protagonist. And then uh, the Darkling, everybody's uh, favorite villain, Ben Barnes, is playing the Darkling. There's also Kit Young as Jesper Fahey and Amita Suman as Inej Gaffa. Um, everybody looks really incredible. The costuming looks great and the settings look really cool and those really dramatic creepy scenes are you get like a little bit of a snippet of that and uh it looks like there are going to be some super creepy moments which is great for somebody <laughs> like me i'm just i'm really excited about this it looks really cool um and it comes out april 2021 so it's really really not that far away anymore it kind of snuck up on me yeah I will say that I watched the trailer and mm-hmm. I have not read these books and it did make me want to read them before I started watching the show because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this looks pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so if they it sounds like from what you're saying, they are indicative of the content of the books. That does make me very interested in the books. Yeah, I think that you'll like it. It has a lot of it's real moody. I think Leigh Bardugo is really great at writing. And I think maybe Ninth House, which wasn't YA, but, you know, it it had that condensed version of some of that dark, moody feel mm. you get from Shadow and Bone. And it has like it's I think it's uh Russian inspired. Yeah, sense. that's that's Amanda also loves these and talks about them semi-regularly on get booked yeah so yes the where is it like is the are the dutch ones a different series there's ones that i know there's heisty that in yes yeah the um i i think those books which uh i can't believe i six of crows is that yes six of yeah. crows that's right yeah that one is and that's another one it gets confusing because those are adult books as well shadow and bone is ya it's the grishaverse right. is hugely expansive <laughs> so if you like shadow and bone you will have plenty to get into noted yeah noted. so super exciting definitely watch the trailer uh it came out from netflix it's on youtube and we'll put the link in the show notes Well, let's see. Uh, Oh, I have a quick one that I wanted to talk about. It's that uh, CJ Sherai, I think that's how you say that, has won the 2021 Heinlein Award. And this is given for uh, writing and science fiction that inspire the human exploration of space. And it's given for her entire body of work um, with an emphasis on the Alliance Union universe. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And then I was like, wait, I've never read her. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so familiar with her name. She's, you know, she's been writing in sci-fi since... At least the 80s, if not earlier than that, like probably earlier than that. But I, I, the some of the pub dates that I was looking at earlier today were from the 80s. So she's been around, you know, for a for a for a minute. And I 
I was like, surely I must have read at least one. Like, there's so few, especially of authors of her, you know, fame and uh, longstanding publication in the genre. I, mm-hmm. I have read at least one of, I feel like, a lot of the big names. And yet somehow I have never read her. So... This is making me want to read her, but also she's got like a billion books. So I am shouting out here to all of our listeners where if there is if there's one book that you would start me on, what would it be for Sherai? So any suggestions, send them on in. Uh, I'm dying to hear what people recommend because, yeah, I just I feel like I should I should read one. At least one. Yeah. I'm curious as well because I I think that there are some authors who have been, especially women authors and women Mm -hmm. of color authors as well, like who have been around for a while. And because um, I personally don't dig back into some of the more classics, like what you would call classics of science fiction and fantasy, because there is so much coming out today and recently Mm. that I just tend to forget about reading up on some of the authors or getting into the catalogs of some authors who've been around and maybe didn't get that much recognition uh, like um, this author. And so I... I feel like I am curious to see if other people have read it in general as well and what they end up recommending to you. So that's a good question. Yeah, it is. It's interesting because, you know, I went through a phase, certainly not since I started working in publishing, but when I was still free to read whatever I wanted, (laughs) whatever I wanted, um, I went through a phase of reading like, you know, the the female authors who had shaped science fiction, but like you said, often were overlooked. So, you know, or had been forgotten about. So Joanna Russ and James Tiptree and Ursula Le Guin, who I think is one of the more well-known, obviously. But still, you know, there are there are quite a few. Fonda McIntyre is another one who I feel like doesn't get talked about that much. And, and I grew up with Anne McCaffrey. So, like, there's all of yeah. these authors who I'm like, well, certainly it's in my wheelhouse, or at least past Jen's wheelhouse. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I was just so surprised that I had somehow never read one. Well, the time is now. Yeah. <laughs> now that we're all, I feel like there's going to be a bump. I hope that there's a bump yeah. in people buying her books. Okay. Well, I well I have a quick pop culture. I guess it's a, a two pop culture type news pieces. And one of them super quick because it's just like basically announcing who's going to be the writer for the reboot of Blade. And this is uh, from the staff at Black Girl Nerds. They just did a quick little announcement about writer Stacey Osekofer, who's known for HBO's Watchmen, which was hugely successful and made a Mm. lot of waves, um, who is now being tapped to write this reboot of Blade, which I think we've talked about before, especially since we rewatched yes. <laughs> that whole series of movies, which was uh, really fun. But uh, it's going to star Mahershala Ali, which is super great casting. And I think yeah. that this is great news about who the writer is going to be. I am sure it is going to take us in really interesting and unexpected places just knowing that 
Stacey Osei-Kofor is, is attached to it now. So this just makes me doubly excited about this upcoming mm-hmm. reboot. Um, so, yeah, that was the quickie for that one. And then this other bit of news that made me so delighted because I had no idea Idris Elba is into anime, but from Slanted, uh, the Slanted.com, Sarah Fox reports on Idris and Sabrina Elba working on this Afrofuturistic sci-fi series for Crunchyroll, which is this anime. Uh, they they push out a lot of anime, so I was like. I would never have predicted this headline. (laughs) And it's a dark fantasy animated series that they're creating for this platform. And they're both going to be executive producers on the project. They have their own um, production companies, uh, Idris's Green Door Pictures, and Sabrina has Pink Towel Pictures. And I guess they're really inspired by anime and they are really excited about putting together this dark fantasy series there's not a lot about what it's actually going to be but well there there is a note here that it's uh afrofuturistic science fiction yeah oh right right sorry yes that's afrofuturistic okay science fiction uh not dark fantasy and it's going to be set in a city where uh, biotechnology is on the rise and there's this gap between the haves and the have-nots. And there are two rising stars from either side of these groups who are pitted against each other. And so it sounds really, really interesting. And I am, I just love anime in general and I can't wait to see what they come up with. This is just a semi-related note. Did you know there's like, well, it's not exactly anime, but there's a there's a new Pacific Rim cartoon. Is there? I had no idea. Speak, yes, there is. Speaking of Idris Elba and like anime and animated stuff, yes, there it's it's on Netflix as of this week. I want to say, and I've been seeing reviews popping up for it all over the place, and it is definitely on my weekend reading list so that has actually nothing to do with what we're talking about right now but that's still but exciting it's <laughs> popped into my brain as a thing that you especially and potentially our listeners would be interested in so bring me all of the futurist anime and cartoons i will watch them thank you very much i will as well i think that's perfect for a weekend playlist yeah uh, okay, I think we have just enough time for one more, and I am going to... I need to talk about this Redwall news. Yes! <laughs> so, okay, before we dig into it, I need to say that Asmodeus, the snake from the original Redwall book, I'm pretty sure that was his name, was the monster under my bed for many of my childhood years. Like, I read these books... By Brian Jakes. It's it's the Redwall series by Brian Jakes. It's like, I don't know. There's like, there's at least a dozen of them following these mice and badgers and hares and snakes and whoever, you know, woodland creatures 
having adventures with swords and like they live in like castles and you know there are pirates they're like rat pirates and uh i was just obsessed with them for the longest time i did have you read them i haven't but every time we post about this series like the internet blows up so <laughs> i have always felt like i i don't know how i missed out on this i loved like mrs quimby and the rats of nim yes, and all those yes yes like, but it sounds real good. Yeah. So, so, and the actual news piece of this, which was announced in mid-February, uh, and I'm getting this story from the AV Club, reported by Sam Barsanti, is that Netflix has picked up the adaptation rights to Redwall. So they are going to make a Redwall series, and I, I just, I just don't even know how to think about this, quite frankly. Like, they're going to make a movie and a TV show, and the movie is going to focus on the first book, and then the TV series is going to talk about Martin the Warrior. And Patrick McHale, who is the creator of Over the Garden Wall, which Liberty, among others of my friends, is absolutely obsessed with, is involved, which seems like a very good sign. It's so and, good. Yeah, I just, I like... I my nostalgia feelings are really big right now. <laughs> I'm so curious to see how they do it. Are they going to do like illustrated animation? Are they going to do CGI? I can't imagine they're like is it going to be like a Disney live action sort of situation? Like I have so many questions about this and I obviously have preferences, but we don't know anything right now, so it's too soon to to get too specific about it, but I am just so curious as to what this is going to look like. Yeah, I uh first of all, I think I said Mrs. Quimby and the Rats of Nim. It's Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats right. of Nim. <laughs> I knew what you meant. My, my brain is just somewhere else today, but I always get this when because I haven't read it, I sometimes get it confused with what is that other animal Watership Down, oh, which is yes. super depressing, right? So dark, so extremely dark. I mean, yes. Watership Down is all about like Socialism and communism and right. genocide. Like, it's a real oh weird God. book. It's dark. It is a 100% political allegory. Whereas, or, I mean, that is my take on it anyway. Some yeah. others might feel free to disagree. But uh, Redwall is, like, the most wholesome. <laughs> it's extremely wholesome. And, you know, one of the things, and I'm not the only person, like, there are cookbooks for this. The, one of the things I was obsessed with was the food sequences because there would be these epically long descriptions of like these feasts that the mice would have with like sugared violets and like acorn you know crudite and like I don't even know but they were so detailed so extremely detailed about the food like that that kind of detail is what Brian Jiggs put into these books Oh my goodness. And it was so immersive and like all encompassing for, you know, little eight to twelve year old Jen. Like it was really got into my brain. And and there are, there are there are Redwall cookbooks out there. I have never bought one because I'm I'm not gonna sugar any violets. Like that's just not a thing I'm gonna, <laughs> You're not gonna do. be harvesting those acorns. <laughs> I know. Between Octavia Butler and Brian Jakes, like I feel like acorns will at some point be consumed by me, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's just so it's just such a part of my childhood. So it's really going to be interesting to see this come together. I'm excited for you and for everybody <laughs> who is many, apparently, who loved these books. And 
I mean, food descriptions are a thing I love very much in this world and in books. So I would 100% pick up one of these when I just need like something lighthearted and lovely and wholesome. And I'm absolutely going to watch this. I also think it's interesting that they're making, I guess it's a, are they doing the movie for the, as the first book? And then they're doing a series for one of the other books that I do not know um Martin yeah. the Warrior. So the context for that is that Martin the Warrior is sort of a prequel. The Redwall is both the name of the series and the name of the first book. And okay. if I'm recalling my timelines correctly, Martin the Warrior actually takes place before the events of Redwall, um, but is referenced very heavily in Redwall. So ah. so it makes sense to me that they would do different things because you could do Redwall and then the books that follow it in the timeline. Although I guess if the movie is just the first book, then that's different. I don't, you know, there's honestly, like I said, there's dozens, at least a dozen, if and I'm pretty sure more of books in this series. So there's endless amounts of things that they could do. Yeah. So yeah, I'll be real curious to see, yeah, what they decide to, how they, where they decide to place the bounds of the story because it could just go on forever. Yeah, very exciting. I can't wait to watch it and go into it completely blind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe I'll do, like, when I actually have time in my reading, I'll do a little reread of one of the books from Redwall and see how it holds up. That could be interesting Oh, yeah. To try. Yes, let me know. I will. I will let you know. All right. So let's see. Let's do our next sponsor and then get into novelettes. So our next sponsor is an author who will be extremely familiar to you all uh, and has a new book out. It's House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Moss. And as you know, Moss is a number one New York Times bestselling author. And this series, the Crescent City series, begins with House of Earth and Blood. It introduces half-fae and half-human Bryce Quinlan as she seeks revenge in a modern fantasy world of magic, danger, and searing romance, as you would expect from this author. With unforgettable characters, sizzling romance, and page-turning suspense, this new fantasy series delves into the heartache of loss, the price of freedom, and the power of love. And it is now out in paperback. So if you did not want to shell out for the hardcover, this is your chance to get on the train in paperback. It's out from Bloomsbury Publishing. And uh, this also was the winner of the 2020 Goodreads Choice Award for Fantasy. So that's cool. So again, that is House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Mass. Let's talk novelette. Let's talk novelettes. Do you want to talk about definitions? Yeah, let's talk about Did Did you want to? You pulled up all of this yeah. wonderful research. So I will let you have the joy of telling everybody. All right. Like. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I went poking around the Internet and I decided to pull from Masterclass's writing website, which I figured these are somewhat an authority, right? Yeah. Like, that should be. That should be legit. Uh, so they break it down. I, I actually included all of the different levels because I, I wanted to fit them together like puzzle pieces in my brain. So a novel is considered to be in the 80,000 to 100,000 word range. Mm -hmm. And then a novella, which is the next 
biggest or next smallest, depending on which way you want to go here, uh, is a piece of fiction between 10,000 and 40,000 words. And then there is the novelette, which has a word count between 7,500 and 17,000 words. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll you'll notice there's a lot of overlap here. Like Mm -hmm. something could be both a novella and a novelette, depending on who you ask. So that's interesting. Um, And then apparently anything shorter than that is considered a short story. So novelettes are, (laughs) you know, like... Not as many words as a novella, but more words than a short story. But also, it seems like a category that is extremely ripe for interpretation. Yeah, I. it feels like every time I learn something new about... Like, it feels like it wasn't that long ago I was really reading and thinking about novellas. Mm-hmm. So the novelette was is probably the freshest thing to come my way. <laughs> and I, I'm always like, I think if I had come across this, I would probably just call it a short story. But right. I guess not. <laughs> but it's, it's a long short story. Yes, it's a long <laughs> short story. But in awards categories, we'll go ahead and call them novelettes. Yeah. I was thinking about that, too. I was like, what is the purpose of all of this? Yeah. And I have decided in my head that the purpose of it is to hand out more awards, which I don't object to, actually. <laughs> like, if it's, yeah. if we just need a category for things that are, like, a little bit longer but also a little bit shorter, I feel okay about that. I do, too, especially after reading a few of them, like... These are really I I I kind of am loving this category because yeah. it's just enough to dig into and you also finish it quite quickly so you get that satisfaction. Yes, I completely agree. And it was really interesting because I so I used the Locus reading list as my baseline mm-hmm. because it was the easiest way to have a list of novelettes in front of my face. Same. Um And uh, I picked two, one from an author I had already read and one from one I hadn't. And they ended up being two very different examples of what you can do with a novelette, which I'm super into. So I'll talk about, well, technically they're both sort of sci-fi, I just realized, but who cares? Uh, (laughs) I'll talk about my first one, which is If You Take My Meaning by Charlie Jane Anders, which was published on Tor.com in February of 2020. And this is fascinating because this is basically a sequel novelette. It It immediately follows the events of her book, The City in the Middle of the Night, which I am a huge fan of. Like, obviously, huge fan. I think I've talked about it on this show before. I know I've talked about it on Get Booked. Like, that book blew my mind. Such interesting world building. It's about a planet that is uh, tidally locked, I think is what it's called. So it's all when it rotates around the sun, the same side always faces the sun and the same side always faces away like our moon and the earth. But it means there's a dark side and a light side of the planet, which means that the only habitable zone is right in between those two sides. Like it's this very thin strip sort of around the planet where humanity, which have come fleeing Earth, you know, many generations ago, have settled this planet and decided that it did not have intelligent life. Spoiler, wrong, incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) 
So the book is very much about, first of all, how do you live in a planet where there's no day and night? Like there's there's no, you know, cycle of light. You're just always in the same sort of dusk. So like how, how does one sleep in such a situation? Like how would you organize your day? Like what would it mean to not be on a diurnal nocturnal system, which is a super interesting question. And then, of course, tackles this question of how do we grapple with this question of, you know, colonization and recognizing intelligence in species other than our own. And there's also like great characters. Oh, my gosh, the characters in that book. So good. Uh, And so this story extends that world and picks up with characters who were supporting characters in City in the Middle of the Night, uh, but not main characters. And, you know, takes us a little bit farther into what happens next after that book ends. And I was trying to decide as I was reading it, like, if you hadn't read City in the Middle of the Night, would any of this make any sense to you? Mm. You know, like, would you be able to follow it? Would you care about these characters? Would you understand what was going on? And I actually think the answer is no. Like, I really, I really don't. I don't think so. I mean, I would love for somebody to read it and tell me, but I just can't imagine going into this with zero knowledge about the world and understanding what's happening. And that's a really interesting sort of place to be for a work of short fiction, right? Like, in my head, and I don't know why this would be true, but in my head, I kind of had them all as, like, standalones. Yeah. But there's no reason why a novelette could not be a sequel, right? Like, there's no actual reason why that should be true. It's just a rule that I made up for no reason in my head. So it's super interesting to see an author develop more of a storyline in a world I'm already familiar with in this format. It was really fascinating. I really enjoyed it. And I'm super excited because I didn't even know this existed. And I think sometimes about that book and I'm like, what happened next? And now I know what happened next. So it almost feels like this was written, you know, for me, like for specifically for fans of that book. And it's Charlie Jane being like, hey, I know you probably would love to know more. Like, here you go. I don't know if that's actually the motivation for it, but that's what it felt like to me. So I'm super into it. And uh, but that's but it was just an interesting way to use the form, I thought. So again, that's if you take my meaning by Charlie Jane Anders. That's interesting. That is I did not expect that it would not be able to stand on its own. So I I, I just surprising. don't think so. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about. Well, I chose one that is not related to any book, but is related to actual history. And just as a heads up, there are some like archaic words around mental illness that are discussed here and also in the story. So my first pick is For He Can Creep. And this is by Siobhan Carroll, whose work I was unfamiliar with before reading this. And I just have to say that this cat lady approves of this cat story. (laughs) It was so good. (laughs) It's just really fun and funny and action-packed. And this one was actually a uh, finalist for both the Hugo and Nebula Awards in the novelette category. And so the protagonist, the main character in For He Can Creep, is Joffrey, who's this Highly energetic orange cat who rules uh, what is 
termed the asylum in this story. And this is an asylum as in that terrible, archaic sort of hospital prison style system for people with mental illness. And the story, it takes place in the 18th century, and it is this fictionalized telling of a moment in the life of someone named Christopher Smart. I didn't know anything about Christopher Smart, but then had enough of a hint from this story to be like, is this an actual person? So I looked him up, and yeah, Christopher Smart was a person who was locked away for what ended up being deemed religious mania, and he wrote poetry in this asylum. And so in the story, as well as in real life, Smart owed a bunch of people debts, and in the story it's insinuated that he might have had a... Uh, carefree earlier life where he did a lot of, you know, cavorting around town and doing not so great stuff. And so he might have been locked up at least in part due to some of these debts as well. And so also in the story, as well as in real life, he had this cat named Joffrey, who was this fixture in his life and who was even used in his his actual poetry. So he wrote this poem titled, For I Will Consider My Cat Joffrey, which is included at the end of this novelette. And the title of the novelette actually comes from that poem. So in the story itself, this fictionalized version of the life or a moment in the life of Christopher Smart and Joffrey. Joffrey rules this asylum, and he bristles and spits at, like, every demon out of his path. Like, the intro, the opening to the story is, it immediately puts you in Joffrey's headspace, which is a, that energetic, bold headspace. And Joffrey's faced with a big challenge as protector of not only his stomping grounds, but also his human, the poet who lives there and who receives this visit from none other than Satan himself. And Satan arrives with a demand for the poet. So both Joffrey and the poet know that complying with Satan is going to lead to ruin, as it tends to do. But Not complying is also going to be really bad news for the poet. So Joffrey sees that it's all up to him to save the day. And while this sort of Satan versus Joffrey the cat situation kind of sounds preposterous on its face, Joffrey is this mighty and fierce cat who also has this weakness of pride. And so, you know, will Joffrey find a way to defeat the devil and save his poet? That is the question you're faced at the beginning of this, and it seems impossible, but uh, as you read on, you find out what happens. And I just, mostly I loved reading this because of Joffrey's personality. He knows he is a good cat and a bold gentleman and a pretty fellow, as he and the poet (laughs) call himself. And this, the narrative style of the story really lends to the sense of Joffrey's personal sense of self-assuredness. And it also gives the story this really fun-spirited and humorous nature. So after I finished, I just wanted to read a whole series of adventures about Joffrey the cat and his fellow wild cats, including this fearsome kitten called the Night Hunter Moppet. So (laughs) I just 
love the Night Hunter Moffat so much. And I think for any cat lovers, it's going to make you appreciate your cat a little bit more as well. So if you're looking for a really lighthearted, boisterous, quick read, I would definitely check out For He Can Creep. Again, that's by Siobhan Carroll, and you can read the full story on Tor.com. You sold the bejesus out of that. Also, (laughs) I need to know, how long did it take you to find a cat narrator novel? (laughs) (laughs) Like, did you just go through a bunch of them being like, not a cat, not a cat. Oh, here's a cat. (laughs) I actually, I remembered the image. There's like a a featured image for this one. And Mm. I was like... I remember the image and I remember pausing because there's a cat sitting at the top of an armchair with this. It's like a claymation sort of image. And there's this, the poet with like these demon horns coming out of his head. And I was just like, cat, cat, I'm going to read this cat. (laughs) That's perfect. It's so good. It's delightful. That's great. Uh, All right. So my second pick is one from a publication I am very familiar with, but an author who I had not read before. It's The Transition of Osusi by Ozzie M. Gartrell, and it is from the Faya Winter 20 issue. And I've talked before about how amazing Faya is. It is dedicated to Black speculative fiction. They do an amazing job. And this story is so interesting. I will say that it kept me guessing the entire time, which is a feat for like 8,000 words. Uh, And also it went in a direction I really was not expecting. Like I thought I knew where we were headed and I absolutely did not, which is such a delight always, especially when you read as much as we do. As like, I feel like I'm pretty good at guessing plot points at this point in my life. Yeah. So it's so great when somebody does something. I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming. So uh, this is set in a futuristic version of the well it's it's an it's a very near future it feels very possible near future of the united states in which there are different classes of citizens and many black and brown folks are a second class of citizen and are you know used to being oppressed and are fighting it in all of the ways that they can um, and struggling to make lives for themselves. And the main character is a coder who is seeking out the help of this cabal of hacktivists uh, from Africa. Um, I can't remember if it's dis- if it's if it's a pan-African group or if they were from one specific country. But anyway, this group of activists who are sort of like who are you? Why should we give you any of our resources? Like, you have got to prove yourself worthy of our assistance. And so the main character ends up on this, you know, sort of mission to fulfill a task for this cabal and hopes in turn to get the resources that she needs to unleash this. Or he needs. I have, like, forgotten... (laughs) <laughs> the main character's <laughs> name and gender because it's it's told in first person and they're really not that oh, present yeah. on the page. So, like, it just went right out of my head. So I apologize um, if I'm getting it wrong. But anyway, the main character is, like, wanting the resources. And you learn about, you know, like... 
their friends and sister and like all of these things that have gotten them to this point. Um, and there's some action and there are just great character depictions as well as it is extremely like, you know, page turny, you know, sneak into the thing and get the stuff and don't get caught and what happens next. It's very tense. And I really loved what the author has done in this like very, you know, pretty short amount of time. But it's amazing. Uh, so super into it. Again, that is The Transition of Osusi by Ozzy M. Gartrell. Nice. Uh, well, I just realized that both of my picks are have strangely religious themes. And I didn't <laughs> notice that until I was like, wait a second, it's weird. Uh, not intentional, but my next pick is Umphalos by Ted Chang. And this one did win the 2020 Locus Award for Novelette. And I love a Ted Chang story. Mm-hmm. So I was very excited to read it. And I felt like this, like other ones I've read by Chang, was a slow burn. Like I didn't know what was happening for a while and what the weird setup was going to be. The speculative <laughs> setup. Uh, but the same goes for Omphalos. This is framed as a sort of um, epistolary novel. I never know how to say that word out loud, but hopefully I'm getting it right. But yeah, you did it. Okay, good. <laughs> or you could even say it's sort of like, it's. it could even be described as a collection of prayers, I guess. Because in mm. each section, the narrator, who's an archaeologist by the name of Dorothea Morrill, addresses the Lord and closes with an amen. And so she asks the Lord throughout this uh, story for guidance when she discovers that there are some primordial abalone shells that are being sold in a gift shop of all places. But it's this gift shop where everybody's gone to see this exhibit of mummies and she's doing a presentation as a natural scientist on uh, rings around um, in trees. So there's a reason that they can't and shouldn't be sold these primordial shells. And Dorothea knows this because she is an expert in natural sciences and she knows a lot about why these shells are important, just as the um, marks in natural science in general are important because they show this specific point in history where the Lord created all things, including the trees, through their rings. There's things like uh, humans missing navels, and these mummies that people are going to see at the exhibit show that. These are all examples of creationism or young earth creationism. So Dorothea takes it upon herself. She she investigates the source of the abalone shells that ended up in the gift shop. She's a very moral person. Uh, you can tell right away. And she wants to get down to the bottom of it and figure out why this wrong has taken place. And there are these subtle hints throughout the story that this world is slightly different from our own. There are things like the spelling of names of some familiar places are a little bit different. And then Dorothea also speaks about her place in the world and expectations of her as a woman, which feel very, like, antiquated. And, like, for instance, she's advised not to go to Chicago alone and her career choice and her lack of family are looked at with, you know, some disagree of 
um, some degree of disapproval. And then there's this mood of like generally accepted religious faith where science and faith align. But then when Dorothea ends up taking this investigation into her hands and looking into these abalone shells, she learns something that really shakes her to the core. And I I think I've said this before about a story or two where there are certain stories that put me in this like twilight zone space. And Mm. I still can't entirely put my finger on what makes those stories feel like that show. I think it might be a combination of a sort of quiet to the story, that sort of chamber piece feel where there are minimal characters and settings and it has the sort of vintagey feeling like Mem Mm. by Bethany Morrow kind of put me in that headspace. And it also, these stories tend to, for me, explore a really deep philosophical question and have that moment of kind of dreadful surprise. And you get that moment of arrival where you realize things aren't what they were believed to be. Mm-hmm. So that you can, pra- I could practically hear that sudden, like, you know, that flat note, the sound effect yeah. of this sort of <laughs> horror struck reckoning. And I just, I love that because it's a reckoning of the mind and there's like no violence in the story. Nothing physically happens to the character. It is all like the horror of an intellectual and spiritual nature. And I just loved it in general. I I tend to read a lot of books where I'm really taken out of my element, where there's a lot of world building and a bit of escapism from reality. But um, Follows really reminded me that I also enjoy these chamber piece stories that put you in the protagonist's head and ask you not to focus so much on the external, I guess, but the internal. And I think that's because what happens in our minds can be as strange and unsettling as anything we could encounter in the outside world. Mm. And I just, I just love this. I think Ted Chang just tells, especially with those stories, just tells an amazing tale. And this was one of them. So yeah, again, I've been talking about Unfollows by Ted Chang, and you can read that in his collection, Exhalation. I have read that story as well. Yeah. And agree with you 100%. And I had never been able to articulate that before, but you did so well. Actually, I love that idea of the reckoning of the mind and this like chamber piece sort of subgenre. I think that's a really interesting way to put it. Yeah, yeah I want to read I, more I, of those. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to like get somebody to put together a reading list for us. Yes. <laughs> Everybody somebody help on, us. <laughs> yes. Somebody on Book Riot can write that post. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Cool. Well, this is, I mean, it's so funny to me. Like we're talking about short stuff, but we have so much to say about it, which just goes to show. Yes. That you don't need a whole lot of words to make a big impact. So, yeah, here we are, uh, closing out our Nautilus show. Uh, thank you all for listening, as always. Thanks also go out to our sound editor, D.R. Baker, who helps us to sound great each and every episode. Uh, for more book recommendations, sci-fi, fantasy, etc., you can check out bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. We have a bunch of them. And uh, you can always email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Show ideas, themes, feedback, et cetera, et cetera. And speaking of feedback, if you have a minute and review us on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate it. It helps other folks to find the show. And in between shows, you can find us online. Sharifa, where are you? 
I'm on Instagram. You can find me at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. I am also mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.